Dear loving Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name, O Lord, for your goodness and love and mercy bestowed upon us. Father, the end we know is drawing near, and the preparation for your coming that we have to do, we see that we have a long way to go. Dear Father, we pray that as we go through the words of our devotion today, that you shall inspire in us a faith in your word, and that by these we may also prepare to have faith to stand for the times that are coming ahead of us. We ask, Father, for understanding, we ask for wisdom, and for the grace of your Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, consecrate me to your service, for I have nothing to say to your children that will be of benefit to them. Therefore, please, for the sake of your Son's death on the cross of Calvary, put your words in my mouth that blessings may come forth to all of us who are listening. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 18 Thomas the Doubter Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. John chapter 20 verse 29 when Jesus first met the disciples in the upper chamber following his resurrection, Thomas was not with them. He heard the reports of the others and received abundant proof that Jesus had risen, but gloom and unbelief filled his heart. He was determined not to believe, and for a whole week he brooded over his wretchedness which seemed all the darker in contrast with the hope and faith of his brethren. He ardently loved his Lord, but he had allowed jealousy and unbelief to take possession of his mind and heart. He firmly and self-confidently affirmed that he would not believe unless he should put his fingers in the prints of the nails and his hand in the side where the cruel spear was thrust. When Jesus again met with his disciples, Thomas was with them, and Jesus gave him the evidence which he had desired. His heart leaped for joy, and he cast himself at the feet of Jesus, crying, My Lord and my God. Jesus accepted his acknowledgement, but gently reproved his unbelief. Many who, like Thomas, wait for all cause of doubt to be removed, will never realize their desire they gradually become confirmed in unbelief. In his treatment of Thomas, Jesus gave a lesson for his followers. His example shows how we should treat those whose faith is weak and who, made their, who make their doubts prominent. Jesus did not overwhelm Thomas with reproach, nor did he enter into controversy with him. He revealed himself to the doubting one. Thomas had been most unreasonable in dictating the conditions of his faith, but Jesus, by his generous love and consideration, broke down all the barriers. Unbelief is seldom overcome by controversy, but let Jesus in his love and mercy be revealed as the crucified Savior, and from many, once unwilling lips, will be heard the acknowledgement of Thomas, my Lord and my God. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Thomas the Doubter and there are a lot of lessons to learn so I'll just go straight into it and I pray that we will be inspired with that faith which Thomas lacked, which is faith in the word of God. Thomas wanted to see before he believes. He was not following faith. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It does not come by seeing. Thomas wanted to see. He wanted to touch. He wanted to feel. Feeling and faith are opposed. They are not the same thing. We work by faith, not by sight, not by feeling, not by touching. But we work by faith. Faith does not need to see. It needs to hear. Thomas had heard from the disciples. They had shown him evidences. What evidence did they show him? Is it Jesus? No, the evidence they showed Thomas was not Jesus himself. 
they showed him evidences from the word of god remember there were people who explained to thomas what jesus had said concerning himself in the scriptures that was cleopas we'll get to that very soon but thomas refused to believe based on the evidence of god's word he chose to believe only based on his own terms which is by seeing and touching like we have read in our devotion which is our first lesson we should learn to manifest patience with those who reveal their doubts we should learn to gently deal with them and not get offended after you have shown evidence after evidence and people are still doubting what the truth is let us be patient with them work with them reveal to them the love of god you may see someone and you have explained to them maybe a lesson on what the state of the dead is or hellfire or the sabbath or other doctrine of the word of god clearly delineated in the word of god but the person is still harboring doubts we learn from jesus to be patient with such people rather than explain again leave those things and show them some love relate with them on other matters let the character of christ like we learned in yesterday's devotion that character let it be the thing that will break the barrier just to remind us of that jesus's character on the cross of calvary was the most powerful evidence that he was the messiah it was not the miracles not was it even no, it was not even the teachings it was the lifestyle he lived so to those who doubt the best evidence you can give to them of the truth is by living it out is by showing the love that like jesus did to thomas secondly another lesson is this like we read in the devotion not everyone is going to have the privilege that thomas had for god to come down to your own terms and show you what you want there are some who god may speak to in dreams sometimes he may make some some things in life that look like coincidences to work for you but they are not actually coincidences god is working things out some experiences you pass through may be a confirmation to you that this thing somebody was telling you concerning the word of god is actually true but those things are not sufficient evidences the greatest and safest evidence one can follow is the word of god itself if you are praying to god oh lord if this thing is the truth let the sun shine or let the rain fall you are placing yourself under satan's trap because satan can also fulfill those evidences and tests that you place the safest thing for everyone is to believe the word of god just as it is do not give god conditions that he would use to show to you what is true which already exists in his word if it is that that thing is not plainly revealed in his word then one may ask for example one wants you want to know what course should i study it's not written for you in the word of god who should i marry yes conditions are given to you but you see many men or ladies who fulfill those conditions you don't know which one to choose you may ask god to direct you you may ask him for other evidences it's fine but when it comes to the truth of god's word what other evidence do you need than the truth itself which is the word of god it is not safe to request for other evidences for other tests for the truth when the truth itself is right before you so those are two lessons first one patience and love to those who doubt and secondly for those who doubt trust the word of god it is not all the time that the lord will give you give you come to your terms that to give you those um, requests that you make of him to prove to you what truth is most times he will not do that the lord will not remove every every room for doubt for those who want to doubt in the word of god you will always find hooks to hang your doubt in the word of god god does not propose to remove all all them um, hooks all reasons for doubt in the word of god but he expects us to come to the truth by the weight of evidence you see the word of god is pointing in this direction you've seen one two three four five six seven more bible passages that are pointing in one direction but then you now see another bible passage that seems to be saying something different from the overwhelming bible passages you have seen maybe you have five different bible passages telling you this particular thing but there's one other it is not really saying something opposite but it seems to be saying that what do you do you decide based on the weight of evidence you have numerous bible passages pointing to you 
pointing you to this direction then the other one that seems to be saying something different not contradicting should not be used as a reason not to believe the overwhelming evidences that is the lesson so there's much more than this let us read now john chapter 20 to explain what really happened here it says but thomas one of the 12 john 20 reading from verse 24 thomas one of the 12 called didymus was not with them when jesus came we know the story it says in 26 and after eight days again his disciples were within and thomas with them then came jesus the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace be unto you then he said he then said he to thomas reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and trust it into my side and be not faithless but believe him amen this was what happened with thomas when he was doubting but once more Jesus showed himself again to them when you read the book of John 21. But it was not only Thomas who was unbelieving. The other disciples manifested theirs after the death of Jesus. Mary had seen the empty tomb of Jesus and the man spoke to her saying in Mark 16 verse 7 and 8, Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre. Verse 10 and 11 says, And she went and told them that had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Wow! They did not believe. Instead of this news reviving hope in the disciples, they were unbelieving. They would rather imagine that the chief priests had taken the body of Jesus to them, Jesus being resurrected was out of the picture. Then there were these other men who were walking on the road to Emmaus. Reading Luke chapter 24 from verse 13, it says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score four longs. And they walked together, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? By the way, this Cleopas, it is he, I believe, whose wife was also there the day Jesus was crucified. He was a believer in Jesus. We see that in the book of John, chapter 19, verse 25, where it says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene were there standing afar off when Jesus was crucified. Now this Cleopas was walking and Jesus came to meet him and the person walking with him and he asked them what was going on and Cleopas explained unto them and in his statement to Jesus he ended it by saying in Luke chapter 24 verse 22 21 but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed israel and beside all this today is the third day since these things were done yea and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre and when they found not his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said but him they saw not then jesus said unto them O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto, all, unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amen. Now, of course, Jesus followed them to their house and later revealed himself to them and they realized that it was Jesus. And now they ran so happily with joy to meet the 11 disciples all through the night they ran till they met the disciples and in verse 34 it says they said to them the lord is risen indeed and had appeared to simon and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread now you would think that after the testimony of mary and the testimony of cleopas and perhaps this simon that they would believe 
but they did not. The book of Mark 16 verse 12 and 13 supplies us this information. It says, after that, he had appeared in another form unto two of them, that's Cleopas and Simon, as they walked and went into the country, that's to Emmaus. Verse 13 tells us, and they went and told it unto the residue. Neither believed they them. It was not only Thomas. The disciples, the 11 of them and perhaps others, they didn't still believe the testimony of Mary and Cleopas and Simon. Thomas did not have reason to doubt and so did the others too. But what did Jesus do to remove their doubt? He referred them to the word. He did no miracle or showed no sign. The eleven of all people had no reason for this kind of unbelief. They had been partakers of the greatest blessing of seeing the wonderful works of Jesus. They were not excited to hear of the risen Savior. They thought it was a bluff. Peter and John, of course, were the only ones who had exhibited some sense of hope, but there was no rejoicing among them. There was no sound of victory, no songs of praise. Peter and John had seen the empty tomb as well as Mary. But more than this, they had heard Jesus speak of his death and promised resurrection, but yet they were slow to believe in light of the greatest evidence of God's word. From the response of Jesus to his disciples, we would see that he did not like their unbelief and he didn't see it as excusable or warranted. He called them fools and slow of heart. And there is nothing commendable about being a fool and being slow of heart. Now in the book of Mark 16 verse 14 it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them as he rebuked them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So what is this? Jesus expected that the disciples should believe, not just the word of God, believe the testimony of Mary, believe the testimony of Cleopas, believe the testimony of Simon. He upbraided them for not believing. So now, in Luke 24 verse 44 and 45, it says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with him, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. What was it that Jesus taught his disciples at this time? He made them have faith, not in himself per se, but in the scriptures. One would expect Jesus to say, look, it is me, believe in me. But what did he do? He then sat them down and said, let us have a Bible study so that you can believe that I who am standing before you, I am the Messiah. Jesus didn't say, believe me because of my hairs. Believe me because of my eyes. Believe me because of my hands. Believe me because of my pierced side. The disciples were not believing those things. Even though they saw him, yes, Thomas did believe. But Jesus wanted them to have greater faith. A faith that is higher than what they are seeing with their eyes and what they are hearing with their ears. Because for them, in the book of Luke 24, they said, maybe this is a ghost. They knew that Satan could impersonate. And so they were wondering, is this an impersonation of Jesus? How could it be that the man that was dead is standing right before us? How can we believe to an extent? One would say, if they did not know the scriptures, they were right to doubt. But Jesus did not tell them, can't you see that it is me? Why didn't you believe? Jesus pointed them, I had told you before. You are not to believe because I'm standing before you, because the devil can impersonate. But you are to believe because the scriptures said that this is what will happen. So Jesus took the scriptures, Luke 24 verse 44. He went through the books of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and opened their understanding so that they can understand the scriptures. Now, let us go through what Jesus did for them. John 5 verse 39, Jesus said, hear these words, mark them down. And please, if you are listening, it will be well. I know you may be on the road or you may be working, but it will be well for you to listen again. Take a pen and paper and write down all these things that your faith in Jesus may increase as he will take us now through what he did to the disciples, through the books of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms to show us things concerning himself. The first passage, John 5 verse 39, there, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The first time I ever read the scripture, when I didn't know the scripture much, I was wondering, that the scriptures, because I know that the scriptures Jesus was referring to is Genesis to Malachi. There was nothing like Matthew to the Revelation in the days of Jesus. So he's saying, search that 
thing we call Old Testament that you will find him in it. I was surprised. How? Jesus in the Old Testament? But that is exactly what Jesus is saying. I will show you about myself in that law of Moses, in the prophets and in the Psalms. Let us begin with the prophets and the Psalms to see what Jesus taught his disciples concerning himself. And I pray that the eye of our own understanding will be opened and we may understand the scriptures the way the apostles and disciples did. Let us go through it. The first one, Genesis 3 verse 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This prophecy, the first ever given about the coming Messiah, the seed of a woman, not the seed of a man because naturally, biologically, it is the man that has the seed and the woman has the egg. But here the Lord had said, I will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. This seed being referred to was Jesus Christ and it is he who was prophesied about that will bruise the head of the serpent. Now, this will be taken as, yeah, we know that the disciples may have known this one, but let's go further. Now, we will look at the books of Moses now, the law of Moses, let me say the prophets of the prophet Moses, Deuteronomy 18 verse 17 and 18. Here Moses said, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. This prophet being referred to here, that the Lord said is like Moses, was referring to none other than Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 22, having learned from Jesus, Peter used this passage to prove to them that it was referring to Jesus. He said in Acts 3 verse 22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now, Jesus and um, Peter was referring to Jesus Christ here. Now, other prophets wrote other things concerning how to know who the Messiah is. Talking about the circumstances of his birth, we read the book of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here, Jesus pointed them to the circumstances of his birth, which they well knew that Jesus' father was not Joseph. People knew that Mary's pregnancy for Jesus was a mystery. And he let them know that the Bible prophesied that if the Messiah will come, that a virgin will give birth to that Messiah. Then, secondly, the place of his birth, Micah 5 verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Hmm. The Bible here, Jesus pointed them to, the Bible passage is Mark 5 verse 2, and here it says clearly that when the Messiah comes, because it says that this person's going forth has been from of old, from everlasting, that means this is God. But then they are telling them that God, when he comes as a child, he's going to come and be born in Bethlehem. And then Jesus would point to this passage and let them know that he, when he was about to be born, a decree was given that everybody should go to their own homeland for a census. And that is how Mary went to Bethlehem and gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. And then Galatians 4 verse 4 tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Then again, Jesus pointed them to his anointing after his birth. The book of Daniel 8.14 which we have seen in previous devotions tells us, Unto 2,300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The beginning of these 2,000 days, 2,300 days, which is 2,300 years prophecy actually, 
was given to them as when the decree is given to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. You can see that in Daniel 9 verse 24 and 25. Now, from that time they were told in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. If you calculate that into days, it is 483 days. And since a day represents a year, that is 483 years. So where is the starting point? We already have proven before that that decree was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It's a starting point and it was given in 457 BC. Counting from 457 BC, that means we have 483 years and the Messiah will be anointed. 483 years later is 27 AD and it is in 27 AD that Jesus was baptized and the dove came from heaven and they, they, they saw the Holy Spirit descend as a dove on Jesus and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. And even John testified and says, said, behold the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. After the baptism of Jesus, he went into the synagogue, Luke 4 verse 16 to 18, and he quoted a Bible passage which describes the mission of the Messiah. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Where is this? Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2, that's where it is. And he quoted, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Luke 4 verse 20 now says, And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them were in the synagogue, who were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he said to them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your eyes. Amen. What scripture? Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, which is the mission statement of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy to prove that he was the Messiah. Then how about the duration of his ministry? Before I go on, we have seen several things. We have seen the place of birth of the Messiah, Bethlehem, prophesied, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We have seen the anointing of the Messiah. It is supposed to be 2780. Jesus was anointed in 27 AD. We have also seen the circumstances of the birth of the Messiah. He is to be born by a virgin as prophesied by Isaiah. And we have also seen Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. Now we've seen the mission statement of the Messiah, Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Going further, we'll see the duration of the ministry of the Messiah. Back to that book of Daniel 9 verse 25 and 26, we are told in that verse 26 that after three score and two weeks, that's after the 483 years, that's at 27 AD, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come and destroy the sanctuary. Now verse 27 says that in the midst of the week, that's when he will be cut off. Remember, it says 70 years are for the children of Israel. At the 69th year, which is 483 years, the Messiah will be anointed. So it remains one week, which is seven days. Seven days. Now, these seven days, we are told in the middle of it, the Messiah will be cut off. His ministry will come to an end. Three and a half years is the middle. And Jesus' ministry was exactly three and a half years. Now, going further to the what the things that happened during the ministry of Jesus. What does the Bible prophesy? Jesus pointed them to the scripture to open their understanding. In the book of John 5 verse 17 when, and 18, when Jesus had said to the, to the Pharisees that he was okay, it was alright for him to heal on the Sabbath, that place, it tells us in verse 18 that the Jews sought to kill him because of this and he pointed them to the book of psalms 41 verse 5 and 6 to make them understand that these passages were talking about him mine enemies speak evil of me when shall he die and his name perish and if he come to see me he speaketh vanity his heart gathereth iniquity to itself when he goeth abroad he telleth it and in mark 12 verse 13 there he showed them pointing them to the times when the pharisees were plotting 
to find something to hold against him. It says there, and they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him at his words. In that same Psalm 41, it's verse 7 says, All that hate me whisper together against me, against me do they devise my hurt. All these things are pointing to the things that will happen during the Messiah's ministry, that there will be people who will be coming against him, who will want to catch him at his words, who will try or plot to kill him. And how was he supposed to be killed? Jesus told them, you know about Judas, you know how Judas betrayed me. And he told them how they know all these things. And he pointed them to that same Psalms 41 now, verse 9, he's read there, yeah, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread has lifted up his heel against me this passage was pointing to judas and jesus opened the eyes of their understanding and they were seeing it and wowed oh this passage is talking about how the messiah was going to be betrayed but much more than that he took them further to give them an understanding of other important matters like when he was finally betrayed by judas and the people took him to the judgment hall of caiaphas something symbolic happened there jesus pointed them Luke Leviticus chapter 21 verse 10 had said very clearly that the high priest is never to rent his garments, he says, and he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. In Matthew 26 verse 65, it tells us then the high priest rent his clothes, saying he had spoken blasphemy. Jesus pointed them to this symbolic event that when Caiaphas rendered his garments, he, he did something that cut him off from being the high priest. It brought an end to his official position and it was now because it was now a redundant insignificant position it brought an end to his um, office as the high priest also jesus showed them in the word of god concerning the injustice that the messiah was supposed to suffer remember he told cleopas ought not the messiah to suffer these things that's what he told them is this not what's supposed to happen to the messiah when cleopas told him oh the high priest took him they beat him they put crown of thorns on him they tore his garment they nailed him to the cross they buried him they cru crucified him with a thief and even joseph of arimathea was the one that buried him in his own tomb jesus told him yes i heard everything you said but are these not the things the bible says supposed to happen to the messiah cleopas must have been surprised really now jesus was showing them truly that the bible the scriptures had already prophesied that these are the things that ought to happen to the messiah and one of them now that we are on now is the injustice let me recap what we have looked at so far we have seen the symbolism of caiaphas rending his garments we have also seen how the bible the scriptures prophesied that the person who will betray Jesus is his own friend, Judas. We've seen also how it was that they were also going to be plotting against him. We've seen the circumstances of his birth, the duration of his ministry, the anointing of the Messiah, and the place of his birth. All these things were already prophesied in the scriptures and Jesus was now showing them how his life fulfilled these prophecies now going further the injustice he suffered he pointed them isaiah 53 verse 7 and 8 concerning the messiah he told them he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he opened not his mouth he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the trans transgression of my people was he stricken and their, um, their understanding will be open oh really this is what the bible said will happen to the messiah they will not give him justice they will afflict him he will be stricken much more than that jesus pointed them to isaiah 50 verse 4 to 5 to tell them the little details of what will happen during that injustice and oppression that the messiah will suffer concerning the messiah it said and then verse 6 he says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked of the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. This was exactly what happened to Jesus as we see in the book of Matthew 26 verse 66 to 68 when Jesus Caiaphas said, What think ye? 
They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. And this is what we just read in Isaiah 50 verse 6. He said, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked of the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. What did they do to Jesus here? It says, They spat on his face, and also they buffeted him and smote him with the palms of their hands. That's his cheeks now. That's what we read in Isaiah 50 verse 6. His cheeks were smitten. His face, they spat on him. But how about the back? It says, I gave my back to the smiters. We see that in the book of Mark 15 verse 15 downward. When Pilate gave him to be smitten, he says, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And then not, not only this, the mockery that he passed through under these people. It says in verse, verse 17, And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. You see, remember Isaiah 50 verse 6 says that they plucked off his hair. The, that was also involved in this. Put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. All these things were opening the understanding of the disciples. And I really pray that it's opening your understanding to the end that you may believe in Jesus. Not just because people have told you is the Messiah, is the Savior, but because the scriptures had already prophesied it. Prophecy is a safeguard. It is a tool. Let's keep going on. We'll talk about prophecy later. Again, another thing Jesus showed them was this thing we just read now concerning the mockery that he suffered as they surrounded him and were taking him to Golgotha. That one is found in the book of Psalms 22, reading from verse 12 to 19. Here concerning the Messiah, if you read from verse 1, you see where it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The whole of Psalm 22 is an expression of what happened to Jesus on that day of his crucifixion. Now in verse 12 of that same Psalm 22, it says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have set me around, have beset me around. This is referring to the crowd that was following him on that day, mocking him when they gave him the cross. It says, They gaped up upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Do you remember that Jesus' strength failed him and he couldn't carry the cross again? Going on, he says, And my tongue cleaved to my jaws. He said nothing to those who were oppressing him. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Then the next thing he says, They pierced my hands and my feet. Amen. So that one takes us to this passage now. The piercing of Jesus. All of this happened to him. And then the lamentation of Jesus we've already seen. Psalm 22 verse 1. We see that revealed. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was pointing them to these passages and the eye of their understanding was being opened and they were believing the scriptures. And how about the mockery of Jesus while he was crucified? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the people, and built the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. Jesus now told them, Do you remember what these men said while I was crucified? And they said, Yes, we heard what they said. Jesus opened the Bible, pointed them to Psalms 22, verse 6 to 8. Remember Psalms 22, verse 1 is the place that says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Going down, he now read to them, Let me show you that the Bible already said that these are the things they are going to say. He read, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head. Remember? They were wagging their heads, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. 
let him deliver him seeing he delighted him these are the exact words that were spoken by the priests and the scribes and the elders and the disciples would have been like wow we didn't know this was in the bible this is exactly a fulfillment of what happened to you on the cross and it is written right here in psalms 22 so this is what's supposed to happen to the messiah jesus told them ought not these things to have happened to the messiah and now they are realizing truly these are the things that are supposed to have happened to you to whoever is going to be the messiah then speaking about the role of the roman soldiers in parting his garments he pointed them do you remember that my garments were parted while i was crucified by the roman soldiers he said yes and then he pointed them to the same psalm 22 verse 17 and 18 he told them i may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture that was what it was jesus revealed that to them and the eye of their understanding was opening more and more and then how about when jesus on the cross said i thirst john 19 verse 28 and 29 after this jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled said i thirst now there was a there was a set of vessel full of vinegar and you know what happened they gave him vinegar to drink he pointed them to psalm 69 verse 20 and 21 where he said they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Their understanding web was being opened. How about him being crucified with the thieves on the cross? That one was an obvious thing. They knew Jesus was crucified with two thieves, one at his right and one at his left. And he pointed them to Isaiah 53 verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. And for his burial, they knew it was a rich man, Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea, that buried Jesus in his own tomb. And the Bible passage says, that's Isaiah 53 verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence neither was any deceit found in his mouth amen so all these passages jesus was showing to the disciples were was opening the eye of the understanding and they were believing more now that truly this is not a ghost because the bible had already said that these things will happen to the messiah and that he would resurrect now remember all we have been looking at is the words of the prophets that's what we have been looking at but Luke 24 verse 44 says that Jesus pointed them to the things that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms we have just looked at the prophets and the Psalms concerning him that's what Jesus said so one final prophecy that the Messiah was to be pierced on his side in the prophets is from Zechariah 12 verse 10 it says and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him they pierced him at the side remember the one we have seen before they pierced his hands but this time they pierced him at the side john 19 verse 34 says but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water and their understanding was opened again so this is what zechariah was referring to they pierced his side not just his hands all of this pointed to it that these are the things that ought to happen to messiah now we have just seen how he explained to them the things concerning himself from the psalms and the prophets let us delve into the law of moses also known as the ceremonial law to see how jesus opened the understanding of the disciples that they may understand that these things ought to happen these laws are laws strictly associated with the services to be done in the sanctuary psalm 77 verse 13 tells us the way of god in the sanctuary what is the way being referred to here it is the way of salvation through the services associated with the sanctuary god clearly and beautifully delineated the things to take place for the salvation of man to begin and it begins in the first feast of the sanctuary the first feast associated with the sanctuary is called the Feast of the Passover, also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When we look at Mark 14 verse 1, you see them called the same thing. This feast is further divided into three parts. Let us see the three parts in the scriptures. In Numbers 28 verse 16, we are told in the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. Then in Leviticus 23 verse 6, it tells us on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now verse 7 says something very important. In the first day, you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no civil work therein. Now, because of this holy convocation and no work being done, this makes it a kind of Sabbath. Now, we have seen two feasts, Passover 
and unleavened bread, 14th and 15th. Now, there's a third one. It says in Leviticus 23, verse 9, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. But when are they going to do this? It says, And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. After which Sabbath? Remember that the unleavened bread, the first day of the unleavened bread, which is the 15th, is also a Sabbath. So from here, we see 14th, 15th, and 16th. 14th being the Passover, 15th being the unleavened bread, and 16th being the first fruit. These three feasts together are known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Feast of the Passover. 14th, 15th, 16th. The significance of the Passover is that even though the Lord had done many signs and wonders in Egypt, it was not enough to free the children of Israel from Egypt, which it represents sin. So also in the salvation of man, Jesus had come to the earth. He had done many signs and wonders, but these were not enough. As the Passover lamb, he must die for their sins and deliver them from sin. But before this takes place, he must fulfill the conditions to be the Passover lamb. So what are these conditions? Exodus chapter 12, reading from verse 3 says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And then verse 6 says something important, that they should keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole, not some now, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So, what information am I drawing from here? Firstly, the lamb selected as a Passover lamb is to be selected on the tenth day of the first month. And then, everyone is to agree, the whole assembly. And when are they supposed to kill it? The fourteenth. Did this happen for Jesus? Let us see. John chapter 12 verse 1. It says, Then Jesus six days before the Passover. By the way, 10th and 14th. 10th means five days before 14th. Five days before the Passover because the Passover is actually the evening of the 14th, which is actually the beginning of the 15th. So when we see the Passover selected on the 10th of the first month and killed on the ending, that's the 15th of that same first month, you see that that tent is five days before the Passover. Now, let us see what happened to Jesus five days before the Passover. Like I just read, John 12 verse 1, six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany. Verse 12 says, on the next day, much people, remember the whole assembly is supposed to select this Passover. It says, the much people were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Do you see that people from all over? came to the feast because of one person they heard jesus was coming to jerusalem so this is five days before the passover now we hear this verse 13 this much people from all over that came to jerusalem what did they do he took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried hosanna blessed is the king of israel that cometh in the name of the lord amen in verse 17 he says the people therefore that was with him when he called lazarus out of his grave and raised him out of the dead bear record amen so this was them selecting him they mentioned it this is the king now selecting him as the king is the same thing as selecting him as the passover now hear what happened at this time in verse 19 it says the pharisees therefore said among themselves perceive ye how you prevail nothing behold the whole world is gone after him. To them, the whole world they were referring to here is everybody among the Jewish community has chosen this man as their king. What did we read concerning the Passover? The whole assembly was to select him and make sure that that Passover is killed. But then, there were a few people who had not yet selected him. And that was those who hated him. The high priest, the chief priest, the scribes and the Pharisees. Did they select him? John 11 verse 47 tells us they had already done that. Verse 47 says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? 
For this man doeth many miracles. If you let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. How many men? All. Remember, how many of the assembly was supposed to select Jesus? All the assembly. And the Romans, and take note, it's not just selecting him, but the timing matters. Five days before the Passover is when it was supposed to happen. When is all this happening? It is happening five days before the Passover. Not just among those who believe in Jesus, but even among those who hated him. I'll continue the reading now. It says, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest, the same year said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad, that is the whole world. Then from that day, from that day forth, took they counsel together to put him to death. Amen. Those who believed and those who did not believe all have selected their Passover. And when did they do it? Five days before the Passover. Jesus was qualified to be the Passover. What do you think was happening to the disciples as Jesus was explaining to them these things? And what is happening to you right now? I really hope that the same thing is happening. That the eye of your understanding is being opened. And that you are believing more than before. That truly Jesus is the Messiah. But much more than this. He was selected. But it's not enough to be selected. He needs to be killed. Not just by anyone. But the killing of the Passover needs to be supervised by the high priest himself. When Jesus was being crucified, the high priest was supposed to be in the sanctuary sacrificing the Passover lamb. But where was he? He was at Golgotha supervising the crucifixion of Jesus, the slaying of the Passover lamb. Matthew 27 verse 35 and 36 says, And they crucified him. They being referred to here includes both the Romans and the high priests and the chief priests because it was the chief priests who did this thing. They crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. And then verse 36 says, They did not go away. And sitting down, they watched him. Amen. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders, they did not go anywhere. They sat down there and conducted their Passover as they were slaying Jesus. The lamb which was brought to the sanctuary that day, it was not slain. The Passover in the sanctuary did not hold that day. It held on Golgotha and they slayed the Passover without the camp outside in Golgotha, outside the gates of Jerusalem. Reading also in Luke 23 verse 46, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having thus said, he gave up the ghost. Amen. Thus it was fulfilled that the high priests and the people had chosen Jesus as the Passover and slain the Passover as the propitiation for their sins. But that's not all and for the sins of the world also. Another thing that was fulfilled to qualify Jesus to be worthy, a worthy offering for the sins, was that the bones of the Passover was not to be broken. Numbers 9 verse 11 and 12 says, The fourteenth day of the second month, at evening, that is also entering the fifteenth day, you shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So you see, Passover and unleavened bread together is the fifteenth. Verse 12 now says, they shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. So the Passover lamb, the bones of that lamb is not to be broken. Jesus was always talking about how his bones were out of joints, but it was not broken. John 19 verse 31, reading now says, The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers, and break the legs of the first, that's the thief, and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he said true, that ye might believe. Amen. Do you believe? You need to believe. 
Jesus fulfilled the conditions for being the Passover. But that's not all. He ought to be the unleavened bread also. Jesus had said when he was living before his crucifixion, John 6 verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that any man may eat thereof and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Amen. Jesus on that cross had died. And now that his body, that his body that was buried on the day of unliving bread was taken by Joseph of Arimathea, by Nicodemus, by the disciples and the apostles, the high priests, all of them. They took that body and they buried it. That body of Jesus represents the unleavened bread which he gave for the life of the world that we all may have eternal life. 14th is the Passover, 15th is unleavened bread, and the next day is to be the first fruits. To confirm the unleavened bread in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says, Purge out therefore the old living, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Remember that the Passover and the living bread are together. Here it is referring to Christ as our unliving bread and the Passover. Thus it was fulfilled that the high priest and the people had chosen Jesus as the Passover, but not just as the Passover and Jesus had offered his body, but as the Passover lamb and the unliving bread for the life of of those who believe in him. Now the sixteenth is to be the first fruits, the third part of this feast. The first fruits were the harvest of the seed that was planted at the beginning of the planting season. During the first fruits, that one seed brings forth much fruit. If you plant a seed in the ground, just one seed, that seed has to die. But after it dies, what happens? It grows. And when it grows, is it just one seed that comes out? No. Many seeds come out. Jesus, alluding to this feast, said a few days before his death in that same book john 12 remember we're reading from john 12 a lot john 12 verse 24 this was a few days before the passover jesus said verily verily i say unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and dies it abideth alone but if it dies it bringeth forth much fruit so also true sin Man had lost his right to eternal life and it was by the payment for the wages of sin, which is death, that Jesus was to get back eternal life for many. The payment was made in the Passover and on living bread. Therefore, life was now secured. Jesus is that seed. Do you remember? The first passage you read, Genesis, Jesus is the seed. And this seed fell down and had died. And like he said, that when it dies, it will now bring forth much fruit. Jesus was the seed of the woman. Now he had fallen and he had died. And now at his resurrection, he will not rise alone. He must rise with much fruit. And what is the fruit? That is the fruit of his labor. Why did he die? For us to have eternal life. So when he is rising, there must be people who will rise with him that will have eternal life. Matthew 27 verse 50 and verse down to 53 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Amen. Here it is that Jesus resurrected. In Psalms 41, there it was already said, verse 10, But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. Requite who? If you go down to verse 9, 8, 7 of this same Psalm 41, you will see that it's referring to those who were the enemies of Jesus, who were mocking him, who spat at him, who were also uh, deriding him and pierced him. Those are the enemies that has been referred to here. Now, Jesus had resurrected, and he resurrected not alone. Remember he said, if you if you don't die you'll be alone that's where he was speaking in the book of john 12 verse 44 but when you die you will now bring forth much fruit jesus had died and now the first fruits resurrected with him first corinthians 15 verse 20 is a confirmation to this it says but now is christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept 
with all this, the eye of the understanding of the disciples were opened. These were the things Jesus taught the disciples and of course much more than what I have said. And this was what opened the eye of the understanding. After this they were enlightened and they began to understand truly that the scriptures are to be believed quickly and not slowly. The problem Jesus had with them earlier was their slowness to believe the things written in the scriptures. For this purpose, Peter was able to say much more uh, some years later in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Then Peter says something about this. He says his eyes and his ears is not enough. That the greatest evidence is in verse 19 he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts amen knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men spoke as they were moved by the holy ghost amen now we all can say the same thing with peter let us have faith in the word of god believe it trust it. This is what Jesus wants from us. Today, there are many more prophecies in the scriptures that are to be fulfilled. We are not to doubt it, but believe it. Prophecy is a safeguard. If there was no prophecy, how would we know who is the true Messiah or not? God had written down these things for a purpose. Why did God write down these prophecies and later they were fulfilled? Jesus later told them, in John 20 verse 26 and down to verse 29, we know what he told Thomas. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas had known the prophecy but yet doubted it. He wanted to see before he believed. Jesus therefore pronounced a blessing on all those who believe without seeing, who believe based on what was written, who exercise faith in his word. In John 21 verse 25, John said, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And in John 20 verse 30 and 31, John said, And many other things, other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you might have life through his name. Amen. And I pray that we all believing will have life. So the question, why did God write all these things before it comes to pass? Why didn't he just show signs and wonders to prove that he is God? Prophecy is a tool to shield us from the enemy. Through prophecy, we know we are safe in believing things that happen around us and following a thing because we know that it was written beforehand. It is a shield against doubt so that even when we don't see, we can safely believe. John 13 verse 19, Jesus said why these things were written. Now I tell you before it come, that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am He. Amen. I pray that as we read the things that the Lord has told us before it happens, that when it does happen, we will believe because the Lord has said it. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for giving us the gift of prophecy. And I pray, Lord, that you will inspire in us that faith in your word that we will not doubt but we will be quick to believe and not be slow to believe lord there are many more prophecies and not just prophecies but truths contained in your word that many of us doubt its verity i pray father that all those who are listening now through these words that has just been spoken shall have in them an inspiration to believe your word more than ever before to trust in the scriptures as a safeguard do this for us and take the glory in Jesus' name. I've prayed. Amen. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Him? Are you believing? Are you following Him? Do you know Jesus?
Jesus, do you know him? Are you receiving his spirit within, within your heart, within your mind? There's a yearning you've denied, a hunger you can't hide within your heart, within your soul. There's a needing to know, a wanting to behold. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Him? Do you believe? From the moment you were born, you were meant for so much more. You have purpose in life. You have a place in this world. There's a God who knows your heart, and He's loved you from the start. And you'll never be alone Because you'll never depart Can you hear? Can you see? Look in love in the face Know His peace, know His grace Let Him in Let Him in Let Him capture your heart Let Him win Do you know Jesus? Do you know Him? Are you believing? Are you following Him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Him? Are you receiving His Spirit within, within your Do you 